Hello, my sweet, sweet babies. Welcome to episode 21 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I'm your host, Tori McGeady. And uh, by the way, I just recently, I can't stop calling people my babies because I just recently watched my favorite episode ever of Intervention uh, with Queen Sylvia. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Intervention, but Sylvia is one of the greats. Um, she's a Southern Belle. She has a proclivity towards uh, tiny little itty bitty uh, hotel bottles of vodka. Um, she liked to drink them in the parking lot of her Southern Belle boutique. And um, I feel no remorse about talking negatively about Sylvia's past because her future is so goddamn bright. Mom is now an interventionist herself, stages interventions for people, is a life coach. Get, like works in therapy, helps guide people, shepherds people towards the light. So, uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of Intervention lately. We've been talking about Intervention a lot in the Facebook group, and I just can't stop thinking about her. Um, and there's a very famous scene in that episode where she is sitting on her patio, like, having a cocktail and a cigarette, as we do. And uh, she comes to the realization that she doesn't have custody of her children, and that she is looking around her house and wondering, God damn it, where the fuck are my babies? And she just has this like eight minute rant, repeating the phrase, where are my babies? In the most Southern Belle way, in the most dramatic. The The thing I also loved about Sylvia was that she also had a, had a proclivity towards theatrics. The woman could have been an actress. You know what I mean? She loved the stage. She loved the spotlight. I bet Sylvia is an Aries. Or a Leo, I would say even more. So it's probably a Leo. But she sat in the patio and like it started off very small. Like, where are my babies? Where are my babies? Where are my babies? And then it just grew and grew and grew and grew and got bigger and bigger and more produced and more theatrical. Like, it was one of the most incredible moments, I think, in television history of her screaming, where are my babies, over and over in her southern accent. So, I've been calling everybody my babies lately. You'll have to apologize. Um, I am your host, Creepy Troy, and you are my babies. Um, I've got a very special episode planned today. I consider this one of the... I have this um, this sort of internal thing that I consider, like, my pot of gold episodes. They're like the episodes where I have to hold off on, like, back-to-back doing episodes like this because this is, like... This isn't just like a run-of-the-mill episode of the Smush Room. This is a huge deal, okay? These are the episodes that I know you guys, like, will definitely be excited about. These are, like, very intense relationships that... I mean, when you think about the um, the concept of this podcast, like, they're sort of the first ones that come to mind, I guess you could say. So, yeah, this is like... Today we're talking about Jennifer Lopez and Sean P. Diddy Combs. Can we talk, like... I, first of all, I have 17 pages of notes. I went full Russ Martin in this episode. Uh, my friend who did the Tinsley episode with me, who literally wrote um, one of the most beautiful novels that I've ever read in my life about Tinsley's life. Um, I went full Russ Martin. I lost my shit. Like, I have taken so many notes on this couple in this relationship. I feel like I truly could write the unauthorized like autobiography of both of their lives at this point, specifically from 1999 to 2001. For Jennifer, we could go a little bit beyond that, I think. I think we could go fully 
fully nuts because I worship Jennifer Lopez, which we'll get to. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, I would say of all the couples that I've talked about so far on this podcast, this has to be at least, I don't know, top like four as far as influence and importance in our culture, in our media, in society, in fashion, in music, in celebrity. I mean, this is like, this was a huge fucking deal. And yeah, I think it would be appropriate to now after I smear little Burt's Bees upon my lips. And now seems like an appropriate time to get right into it. Let's talk about Jennifer Lopez and Sean P. Diddy Combs, who, by the way, I personally call Diddy. Um, I We all have a different relationship with Sean P. Diddy Combs. We all have a different name for him. Um, we all have a name that we feel more comfortable with saying, and I know that. For me, it's Diddy. I hope that that doesn't affect you. Um, I know that in the 90s, he was puffy and puff daddy i just there's something about saying puff daddy for me in 2017 that just feels dated in a way that i'm not comfortable with um i'll occasionally call him sean because i'm a formal person i just i love a person's formal name just like how i call molly molly all the time i i think i've literally called molly malls like once or twice i just love a formal name you know what i mean so for me he's he's diddy occasionally sean and uh, you'll, that's something that you'll just have to suffer through if it bothers you. I will not be calling him Puffy at any anytime soon. So, Jennifer Lopez and Sean P. Diddy Combs dated from August of 1999 to February of 2001. They were involved in one of the most highly publicized celebrity drama at the club nights in pop culture history with the gunshots heard around the world, uh, which, of course, we'll obviously get to. I mean, it's the reason we're here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Jennifer has since gone on record saying that she actually broke up with Diddy because of his issues with infidelity, which I find very ironic, by the way, because from what I've read, Jennifer was, like, kind of seeing Chris Judd by the time she had officially broken up with Diddy, uh, which is something that we will also get to. And I would like to start with Jennifer Lopez, if we could, because what better place is there to start on an episode about Jennifer Lopez than Jennifer Lopez? So Jennifer's career really sort of took off around the same time that she met and started dating Puffy. See, I told you occasionally, if we're going back to the 90s, I'll fucking call him Puffy, whatever. And a few years prior to that, she had starred in a handful of really forgettable roles. There was nothing really major. Her film... Uh, debut was a movie called Lost in the Wild, which was a direct-to-video drama. Um, she also starred in the CBS family drama Second Chances, which only got one season and terrible reviews. And uh, she was in Money Train with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in 1996. And she also starred in the Robin Williams comedy Jack. Um, yeah, I mean, of all those things, that I mean, I guess Jack would be like... The <laughs> her playing the teacher in Jack would be the one that you would kind of, I guess, associate as like a success, like success. Um, but still, there was no big sort of breakout role happening yet. We didn't really know where to place Jennifer Lopez. Uh, we knew her as a fly girl who was sort of trying to make a name for herself in Hollywood as something more than that. And that all changed in 1997 when she starred in the movie Selena. Uh, this was. A huge, first of all, her getting the role of Selena was already a huge deal. Uh, Selena had a very famously grueling and super intense 
audition process, audition, auditioning process. Uh, they had like a, a record number of people turn out to play Selena. Um, every like Hispanic female celebrity was, you know, talked about playing Selena. I mean, it was a, this was a huge deal. She also had recently passed away. It wasn't even that long ago that she had died. So, you know, her her name and her image and her music and her death was all very fresh in the minds of everybody of in the entire world. Uh, so her getting this role was a huge, huge deal. Um, there were over 21,000 women that came to audition for the role. Um, like I said, it broke a Guinness record. It was the largest turnout since the role of Scarlet in uh, Gone with the Wind. And uh, Selma Hayek actually was offered an audition. Not even a, not even the role. She was offered an audition with the 21,000 other women. Um, but she turned it down she felt that uh, it was too soon after her death to play her and that it was a little bit tacky. Um, she felt like the audience would possibly turn on the movie because of how soon it was after her death. Um, the audition process included an eight-page script that they had to memorize and then ten minutes of dancing and singing nonstop. Um, and Jennifer convinced the entire cast and crew that she would be good for the role in three takes. Um, and everybody, I mean, pretty much... Everybody on set, everybody working in the production, everybody knew that Jennifer was Selena as soon as she, like, walked on set. Like, they were really alarmed by how much she looked like her. They had the same mannerisms. They had the same laugh. They had the same humor. You know, the people on set that knew Selena, you know, when they were, like, joking around with Jennifer, they were all talking about how jarring it was because she was so much like her and that it was it was clearly meant to be. I mean, she beat out 21 thousand people that is fucking insane like really think about that she beat out 21,000 women to play selena like that i don't even have words to describe like my my mind won't allow me to go there i need a sip of Arn, Arn, arnold palmer to deal with those facts um now this is something that I had completely forgotten about being a thing, and I was sort of reintroduced to it after doing all this research, but it was also really, really controversial that Jennifer was being, was selected to play Selena, because she was not Mexican, and that was a huge deal. Um, you know, news outlets and Selena fans, they all criticized the decision um, based on the fact that Jennifer was Puerto Rican, and also not from Texas. She was a New York girl, as we all know, from the Bronx. Um, so there were protests to stop production and there were people protesting the set and there were all these, you know, groups saying that they were going to protest the, uh, you know, boycott the, uh, the premiere of the movie and all this stuff. And it was, I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. And Jennifer was, I mean, she gave interviews saying that, you know, the people of Corpus Christi were still pretty nice to her, um, besides the fact that, you know, the whole world seemed to hate the idea that she was playing Selena and that it was super hurtful. Um, everybody involved in the production of the movie was like super taken aback by the fact that the world was boycotting the film. Uh, Jennifer was offered $1 million to play Selena, which made her the highest paid Hispanic actress in film history up to that point. And Selena grossed over $32 million at the box office, making it the ninth highest grossing musical biopic. Again, never know what to say, biopic or biopic. Let's call the whole thing off. Of all time, uh, Jennifer ended up being praised for her portrayal of Selena, which earned her a Golden Globe nomination in 98. And, I mean, 
you know, everything kind of ended up, it all fell into place. I think people were so taken aback by how incredible her portrayal was of Selena and how respectful she was portraying her in a way that was like, I mean, it really was, it it was, I mean, when you go back and watch Selena, like, it's honestly kind of insane how much Jennifer acts like her the way she moves her body the way i mean everything is it's like they they really were kind of like the same person it's insane um and selena really propelled jennifer into a level of fame that you can't even really describe i mean to go from being mostly known as like a backup dancer or a fly girl which by the way around that time right before she got selected to play selena she turned down the opportunity to go on tour with janet jackson and sort of pursue dance as like her main thing because she just had hopes that you know in the next couple years like a role would come along that would change her life and like i mean clearly fate is real she turned down the opportunity to go on tour with janet jackson who at the time was the one of the biggest like pop stars in the world from a pop music dynasty family she turned it down in hopes that she would as a completely unknown get a role that would change her life. And then she is chosen out of 21,000 people to play Selena, gets a Golden Globe, and becomes the highest paid Hispanic female actress in film history. I mean, come on. Can we talk? Come on. Like, that's fucking insane. Um, and I mean, like, especially when you think about the fact that, like I said, she was an unknown. Like, Jennifer, Lo- nobody knew who Jennifer Lopez was. She was in Jack... She was really mostly just known as a fly girl. Like, we really knew knew her as, like, a girl with, like, gelled down sideburns and knee pads that was, like, bebopping all over the place on TV. Like, that was who she was. And then a year later, she's, like, showing up to the fucking Golden Globes. You know what I mean? Like, it's insane. And with the success of Selena, obviously, came bigger budget films. In April of 1997, Jennifer starred in Anaconda. We have to talk for a second. Um, the mention of Anaconda triggers your boy. In my opinion, in my very humble opinion, I don't claim to be, you know, a film historian or anything like that, but I would say that Anaconda is, again, in my opinion, one of the best, worst movies of all time. I'm sorry. They're, like, it's up there with, like, showgirls, and strip tease. You know that I have a proclivity towards like a 90s thriller. Anaconda is watchable at from any point of the film. If it's on TV, I will watch it at any point during any mood, any time of the week, any time of the day, any season, any hour. I don't care. Like, there is always time in my life for John Voight to get, like, spit out by a giant CGI snake, be mummified by fluids and poisons, but still have the gall to wink into the camera. Like, to me, that is, like, actual... That's film, baby. Like, that's that's fucking... That's, that's, that's Hollywood. That is film. To quote Molly McAleer, that is Hollywood, baby. Like, for real. Oh my god, I fucking love Anaconda so much. I can't even put it into words. It's a masterpiece. Um, She also starred in the Oliver Stone film U-Turn, which, if you've never seen U-Turn, 
Um, I really suggest you watch it. On a serious note, it's actually like a really, really incredible film. I think it's one of Jennifer's most underrated and like best performances. For some reason, it really didn't get like a lot of play, but I love the movie U-Turn. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna read the uh, I'm gonna read the cast to you so that you I, I want to tempt you because I want you to understand why you should see this movie. Let's see. Okay, so Jennifer Lopez, Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, Claire Danes, Joaquin Phoenix, John Voight, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Laurie Metcalf, yes, that is right, Aunt Jackie is also up in this bitch. Um, and I don't know why it makes me laugh, but for some reason, so Billy Bob Thornton in this movie, he's like fat. And I mean, we all know Billy Bob Thornton to be like emaciated, thin, like he looks like, he literally looks like uh jack from a nightmare before christmas like he is the most gangly rail thin hillbilly ever um and in this movie he's like hugely overweight he's got a big huge pot belly and i don't know why for some reason it makes me laugh so hard to to see billy bob thornton with a big ass pot belly and dirty teeth like that just it kills me but it's it's amazing you should at least watch the preview right now you can pause me go on over to youtube or imdb and it's U-Turn with a U. So, you, you know, the letter. Um, so then there's that. And in June of 1998, Jennifer starred in the Steven Soderbergh film Out of Sight, alongside George Clooney. Uh, Selena was the movie, I think, that put Jennifer on the map. But Out of Sight was the film that really, really made critics notice her in a way that she was taken serious. Like, I mean, there was, like, Oscar buzz... Like, this was her first time receiving that, this kind of specific praise that, like, it girl actresses get, which I don't think Jennifer ever really achieved after that. I think this was sort of, this is always something that, like, out of sight is something that people look back on and they cite as, you know, one of her most powerful performances, her most powerful, like, on-screen relationship with a guy, her and George Clooney in this movie, their, their chemistry is fucking insane. Um, so things were, like, really heating up for our girl. And as far as music goes, because I hope you didn't think that I wasn't going to go a whole hour and talk about 90s Jennifer Lopez and not mention her debut album. I mean, I would think after 21 weeks you would know me better than that. Literally strap up, like, get comfortable because your boy is about to go on a full-on, like, hard-hitting truths opinion tour when it comes to Jennifer Lopez's reign over the music industry, like, I have a lot to say. There's a lot that we should all be saying that nobody's saying, so leave it to me to just fucking put these words into your mind. Like, this is gospel. I am speaking to you directly from God right now. Jennifer Lopez has never gotten the praise that she deserves as far as what she has given us in the music industry in the past, you know, five or six years, has her music maybe a little bit, ta- you know, it's taken a different turn. She's become like a pit bull girl and she's like been releasing all this terrible dance music. And I understand that. Like, I understand like the impact that I love you, Poppy had on your like on the negativity of your life in 2016 or whenever that song came out. But you need to understand something. Jennifer Lopez's impact on the music industry is unprecedented. Can never say that word. And it's very important. And it's we will get to it. Trust me. Trust and believe. It's the reason that we're here. 
So after the release of Selena, Jennifer had the urge to start creating her own music, um, specifically Spanish music. She was like totally feeling her roots. She wanted to release a Spanish album. So she recorded a demo uh, called Living Out, I'm sorry, Living Without You. I almost, wrote, I almost said Living Out Loud, like as if that's what I wanted it to be called. Living Without You. And she asked her manager to basically send the demo over to Tommy Matola. Tommy loved it, but he requested that she re-record the album, I'm sorry, the demo in English. She did, and then immediately began working on her debut album on the 6th. Um, by the way, it was reported that she actually started dating Tommy in 98 for a very short time and that is uh rumored to be where her rivalry with mariah carey started i don't know if that's true or not i would like to think that it's not that petty but we're talking about mariah carey who is like the literal queen of petty so who knows but um and also tommy matola is like so disgusting like i understand it girls he's wealthy he can you know get you a career going but like he's a known abuser like, Mariah's never been shy about how terrible he was to her, and he's gross. Now he's dating Talia, the Spanish pop superstar. Anyway, while recording the album, Jennifer worked with Gloria Estefan um, and her husband Emilio. She worked with Mark Anthony, uh, Rodney Jerkins, a.k.a. Dark Child, who you may also know as Dark Child Nah Nah, in the beginning of Say My Name. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Um, <laughs> and Diddy uh, she met Sean Diddy Combs while recording this album um, Jennifer actually recorded the album in the same studio as Mark Anthony and Mark had apparently become intrigued with Jennifer after seeing her in Selena so he asked you know if she would be in one of his music videos and she said yes only on uh the count that you do a song with me on my album. So that was like the first time that they had worked together. And I wonder, because this makes me feel a lot of things. The fact that he was on her first album and they later like had their babies together. I just think that's like really fucking adorable. And I wonder if they had sex back then. I mean, I'm sure they did, right? Like when she met him and they're in the same recording studio and she was just Selena and she's got her big giant beautiful ass in the, in the studio like a few inches away from him i'm sure they definitely had sex right like i kind of love that though i like love their love story i like their love um jennifer titled her album on the six after the new york subway because this was the line that she took to get from the, um, the bronx to brooklyn every day in the early stages of her career like before she was even a fly girl and she was like working in fast food she would take the the six and get off in Manhattan, and this was her hustle for like years. And uh, so yeah, I mean, always a girl after our heart from the Bronx. She will always clearly. Clearly, I have an unsavory relationship with Jennifer Lopez as well. I need to start doing episodes of this podcast with people that I feel no connection to, so that I can talk about them in a way that's informative and not just fully biased and psychotic. We'll see. Uh, Jennifer's first single, If You Had My Love, was released on May 4th of 1999 and became an immediate hit. Um, it peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and stayed there for five straight weeks, um, making it the best-selling single of 1999. The single ended up selling over 1.2 million units just in the U.S. alone, so was super successful for a first single. And... Uh, <laughs> 
We're not going to talk about this song and not talk about the music video. I don't know how long it's been since you went back and watched it, but I'm telling you, have fucking mercy. If you could... Okay, so if you needed to teach your children about what the world was like in 1999, all you would need to do is just show them this video. Show them the music video for If You Had My Love, I beg of you. For those of you who don't know, the concept revolved around the internet and like internet voyeurism which was this huge trend in pop culture at this time of like watching people on webcams um the guy in the video who was referred to as rodriguez online because why not uh he goes to jenniferlopezonline.com from there the World Wide web brings up uh this like big brother style house that she lives in and you click different rooms and you can watch her in these different rooms doing different things. Um, so like, you know, you click kitchen and she's like in the kitchen dancing and then you click bathroom and she's like in the shower. Um, and then you can click like the style of Jennifer that you want, like as if she's like this like sim. So you can click like ballroom, uh, reggae, and then Jennifer Lopez will just, like, fucking dance her ass off in the style of reggae in the ballroom. Or you can click, like, Latin kitchen. And she'll dance her ass off and shake her giant beautiful ass in a Latin way in the kitchen. I mean, it's, like, the weirdest video ever. But I suggest you go back and watch it. This music video was heavily rotated on MTV and VH1 during that time, which was a huge deal because in 1999, like, if you kind of picture, like, think about where the world was at that time, there was Jennifer Lowe, I'm sorry, there was Janet Jackson, and there was Madonna. Those were the two women that were really sort of dominating, like, mainstream pop music, and those were the girls that were releasing really sort of, like, boundary-pushing, sexually, ex like, explicit, um these like very feminist provocative music videos like they were the people that were sort of shaping culture at that time as far as mainstream female pop and Jennifer really sort of wedged her and also girls that like danced and like did this kind of thing you know what I mean um Jennifer really wedged her way into that category of women pretty much as soon as she was introduced to the world like all of a sudden, she was immediately being compared to Janet Jackson and, you know, Madonna and all these women that were, like, iconic. Um, we also, by the way, okay, so now we have to talk about why it's such a big deal that Jennifer Lopez released an album in 1999. I think it's hard for people to really sort of understand and wrap their heads around how much this affected culture because it's such a common thing at this point to do this like this is what people do if you're an actress you're also a singer you're also a clothing designer you also have a perfume line you have a shoe line you have a jewelry line as they would say on housewives of atlanta you have a line of jewelry and you just do everything this was not what people did back then like i don't even know how to put it into words like she had just started i'm sorry she had just started in a string of like these really successful films that were back to back to back doing pretty well and she was basically risking her entire acting career by releasing an album which like I said nobody did that at that time like at least not in a mainstream way the way she was attempting to 
And, like, Jennifer is responsible for so many firsts. I mean, like, successful clothing lines, perfume lines, and all these different things that people now do regularly. I mean, that's, like, sort of a part of what it means to be a celebrity, especially a female celebrity. Like, at a certain point, you will have a perfume line. You'll probably have a clothing line. You'll probably have a shoe line. You'll probably have a handbag line. You'll probably try acting, and you'll probably release an an album. And these are all things that Jennifer Lopez pioneered. She was the only person, besides, like, Vanessa Williams, um, who had, you know, a very successful music career and acting career, but it was just completely different. Jennifer did it on a completely different level uh of being a mainstream extremely pop artist who had current like big blockbuster films out and also like a number one album in the country it was just it was literally unheard of and i don't know i just don't think she gets enough credit for the fact that like she invented what it means to kind of be a triple threat in our modern society that was her thing. Like she pioneered that. Um, she changed the business of what it means to be a celebrity forever. And now if you don't have all those things then you're kind of nothing, like you can't really name a celebrity, like I said, especially a female celebrity who hasn't tried to dabble in all the things, at least two, whether it's acting in an album or perfume line and acting, you know, an album and a purse line. There's at least two. You have to have at least two. You can't just be one thing anymore. And she was so successful at it that it sort of became what you do. Um, and I actually have a quote here that she gave around the time that her album came out. She said, the idea to do an album is not a gimmick. It wasn't like an, oh, I'm going to go... I'm, I'm a good actress, so maybe I'll make an album. I had a record deal with Giant Records before my my movie career luckily took off. When I did Selena, it all came back again. Having that interaction with the fans and the public, which you don't get in movies, I miss that very much. I miss the excitement of the stage, which I had early on in my career with musical theater. So, like, even the fact that she was being asked about that, like, is it a gimmick that you have an album out and that you're also an actress? Could you imagine somebody asking that now to, like... I mean, if if Ariana Grande wanted to do a fucking movie, could you imagine somebody being like, what is it all, a gimmick? It would be like, oh, okay, duh. It's just like when Rihanna starred in, um, what was that fucking terrible movie? Like, (laughs) I almost said Battlestar Galactica, which, like, is an insane reference. Like, I don't even know where the fuck my head is right now. But, uh, when she was in that movie, that the board game, I can't think of it right now, and you're all saying it, and I know, I'm sorry, this is, is, like, the worst thing that people do on podcasts. Um, but it was, like, no big deal. I mean, Rihanna was just in Bates Motel. And it was like, cool, Rihanna's in Bates Motel. If it were 1999, that would have been a whole nother thing. <laughs> like, you wouldn't just randomly star in a psychological thriller TV show on A&E and not ever be questioned about what your intentions or motives are. Like, that was just how things were back in the day. Um, and this stigma, I mean, it followed Jennifer a lot, especially at this time. Especially before the full release of her album, because I think... You know, she had that successful single and people were like, okay, so you had a couple good movies out and you had a successful album. I'm sorry, a successful single. But like, what now? Like, do you literally just keep releasing albums and music and movies at the same time? Because our brains can't wrap around that. And people, again, viewed what she was doing as like this sort of gimmick because it wasn't something that we even knew how to navigate. 
Uh, but with the release of On the Six being successful and uh, be- Jennifer becoming, you know, this generation's Vanessa Williams, um, she was able to kind of do the same thing simultaneously. She was releasing albums and music and, and singles. And I mean, that album had back to back to back extremely successful singles, just one after the other. And she continued to star in films. And I mean, it was 1999 was a crazy year for her. Like it was a crazy year for all of us. And I don't think any of us even realize how crazy it actually was. I'm going to stop myself because we're 32 minutes in. I'm getting insane. I do have to talk about our man of the hour, Sean P. Diddy Combs, eventually. So I guess we should start now, right? But I'm going to take another sip of me, Arnold. Why do I insist on doing and saying things that I can't, I can't verbally say on this podcast? Arnold Palmer is another one that I have a problem with. A little bit more common, I'd say. More people have a problem saying Arnold Palmer than not. But, like, why would I insist on even drinking that if I know I can't say the words? Whatever. So, prior to meeting Jennifer, Diddy was settling into his role as president of Bad Boy Records. Um, you know, at this at this point, he was already signed. Uh, he had already signed 112. He'd signed Total. He had signed Faith Evans, um, Father MC. You know, and he was regularly producing and writing music for people like Mary J. Blige and Lil' Kim, uh, TLC, Mariah Carey, Boyz II Men, SWV, Aretha Franklin, Mace. Um, and he was also very heavily influential in TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool album. He produced and co-wrote a lot of that album for them, which, I mean, as we all know now, went on to become like one of the most successful albums, not only of that decade, but just of all time. And in 1997, Puffy... Oh, hey, I wrote I wrote down his name as Puffy because we're talking about him in 1997. See, I'm respectful. Uh, he wrote and produced his first commercial work as a rapper on his own, which is so weird to think about. Like, for some reason, it just feels like he existed as a rapper before 97, even though 97 was a super fucking long time ago. But it just feels like he had been rapping since, like the way early 90s, like 91 or 92 even, you know what I mean? Um, but his first his first official album came out in 1997. Um, the album was called No Way Out, and uh, under the name Puff Daddy at that point. By the way, can we just talk about this for a second? Like, it is amazing to me how many names we've allowed Sean Combs to just change. Like, we've just allowed him to do this without batting an eye. Like, we are so extremely respectful of this man, and it makes no sense of his ridiculous name changes and the fact that he's obviously fucking batshit crazy. Like, not only do we embrace his name changes, but we respectfully, like, disregard the previous names. We let them go. We bury them. And we move on because Diddy has taken on a new, a new narcissistic asshole personality. You know, like, it's insane. <laughs> like that this fucking psychopath wakes up and just decides that he is going to be called Puffy or Puff or P. Diddy or Diddy or Sean P. Diddy Combs or Sean Puffy Combs or Diddy. Like, it's just fucking ridiculous. Like, dude, also, you're like not 19 or 20 anymore. Like, why are you literally in your 40s still changing your name to different versions of the word Puff? It's insane. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... 
go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, You'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.